0: I've got to kick it off. I thought we already did the introductions.
1: No, we didn't. I was just babbling some shit.
0: Oh, you're uh, well. I mean, that's what you do every week.
1: That's why we're such a great, <laughs> such a great stellar podcast.
0: <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to Skirmish Supremacy. This should be episode fifty-one if Tim can count. Finally, it is fifty-one. So we are we are super close. We've almost hit a year. That's awesome. All right, so as Tim said, we have the other Nick on. He's been on before. Say hi, Nick. Hello,
2: and thank you for having me on again.
0: Hey, it was awesome to have you on last time, and um, I would have to say that um, it uh, prompted me to uh, start painting guys again. Fantastic. So, you know, uh, quit slacking on that job. We also (laughs) do have Tim here, as you can tell, screwing stuff up as normal. And then try the to blame me body. for it.
1: That's not true. Nick just doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Don't ever listen to him. Well,
0: so? We don't have to let them know that. <laughs> but, but all right. So Cats we, out of the bag. We have Nick on the show. Nick is has his game, Broken Contract. And they have just recently gone back to Kickstarter, or gone to Kickstarter. This time, though... Instead of new models, they're trying to fund their hardcover rule back rule book. Softcover. Everybody keeps saying think it's hardcover. Oh. Softcover. Well, physical. <laughs> something that I will use to beat <laughs> Tim with later on. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> you
1: will, it's fine.
2: <laughs> so what can you tell us about the rule book? Um well it's a 32-page book. Um, as I mentioned, it is soft cover. Uh, the book actually focuses almost entirely on the rules. There's only a tiny bit of fluff uh, because we wanted to be able to uh, pack in as much of the, uh, of the mechanics into as small of a space as possible. And also for those people that want to uh, um, use the rules in order to build something of their own as opposed to, uh, uh, necessarily playing in my setting. Uh, yeah. Other than that, it's, 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 it's very dense. It's, it's dense for, for the 32 pages. It covers a lot of ground. Uh, there's, uh, an extensive, uh, uh, section on actions and interruptions, which is the main mechanics uh, of the game. Uh, and then it goes into, uh, um, pretty much everything else a, a limited a toned down version of the campaign rules because there's going to be a, a separate campaign book at a at a at another time um but yeah that's basically the general overview all right so
0: you uh you sent Tim and I a um a preview copy i, I saw it monday morning when i was getting up and um i haven't had a I haven't had as much time as i wanted to to actually flip through it and read mm mm-hmm. mhm um but first and foremost since this is this is pretty near the uh last layout copy
2: right you know last it's, layout test it's it's pretty much we're 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 doing copy editing right now and uh there might be some art that gets pushed around but for the most part it is wrapping up cool and, so you say this is about
1: 90% done the book that i'm looking at currently yes okay and, and it's
0: beautiful. I, I like the layout. It looks nice. The graphics are nice in it. The, uh, the detailing. So, first and foremost, the book just looks nice. So, that, that's always a cool selling point for me. We all I, know, guess, I you like shiny. Yes.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think my graphic designer, uh, Sam Elkarez, is doing a fantastic job. So, that's... It's it's a it's a plus when you have a a professional graphic designer
1: doing your work for you. So, yeah. Speaking of which, you and I will have to talk about that after this episode. I'm in dire <laughs> need. <going. laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, um, you know, looking in it, I know we uh, we talked about the game some last time, but how would you describe some of how the gameplay works?
2: Okay. Uh, the principal, uh, the principal mechanic is, is an action and interruption system. So your characters, uh, generally speaking, have three action points. Uh, there are circumstances where a character like drones have two action points there. If you, if you have a, uh, um, certain special abilities, you can increase the amount of action points, but generally speaking, three action points. And within those action points, you can, Uh, Hold action points back in order to interrupt actions of others. So if uh, my initiative has not come up yet and a character attacks my character, I can use one of their action points in order to defend or dodge or parry. And so that is the primary mechanism by which the uh the game works it is i i think a uh, particularly with the expansive list of actions and interruptions that are possible i think it makes for a really dynamic narrative game uh because as as i've mentioned in like the uh in the kickstarter video and such you can do things like yelling stand down or you can beg for mercy and these these uh interrupt, uh stand downs in a uh an action begging for mercies and interruption and these are things that can cause somebody to halt their attack um or to uh to lose action points just as as a general uh thing and so you can engage in suppression just by the the sound of your voice
1: nice awesome so it actually so using that it it adds a lot more of an RPG element to it outside of just like your typical war game where you just attack.
2: Yeah. G- generally speaking, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to have a game that, uh, the, the dynamics of, I didn't want it to just be move, shoot and hand to hand combat. I wanted there to be mechanics that take it to a, uh, more action and adventure type of level, um, but at the same time, is not an RPG because I'm I, I don't have a lot of time for RPGs. I want to be able to you know sit down, throw down a uh, um a scenario, get my uh, get my models out on the table, play for an hour and a half, and then be able to walk away from it and feel like I accomplished something. And so, I, I think that's you know what drew me to miniature games in the first place. But uh, um, within Broken Contract, there were things when I was playing Necromunda. Necromunda being the uh the the most inspirational game for me the thing in, Nec- in necromunda was that uh you would you would be teaching somebody necromunda for the first time and they'd want to be able to you know pick up another another character and throw them or they would want to uh um you know be able to uh you know you know jump from place to place or what have you and there were certain mechanics that just weren't there and so i wanted to create a game that um was more modern had a uh, um you know, stepped away from the all of my guys go, all of your guys go, but also had a little bit more depth in terms of what characters could do. So the mechanics of how something like yelling stand down works is actually very much the same as, you know, if you were rolling to shoot a weapon. It's just that you're throwing your voice. You know, you, it's got an eight-inch range, uh, and instead of causing a wound, if you successfully make the roll to stand down, your opponent loses an action point if you do it on a uh, on a critical success it can do more than that like force forcing them to go prone so you've got dynamics like that that make it a a very simplistic you know board game or miniature game type of mechanic but at the same time gives you a little bit more depth kind of like an rpg nice
1: that's
0: that's awesome i like that thank you <laughs> what, is this, what is this video of painting who's painting uh i am i i am uh uh he's the uh he's the lead dude the overseer right, um, yeah yeah. Over, overseer Smythe. there we go i, I couldn't think of his last night i knew it was overseer something but
1: very good to yeah. be fair i am not painting because i like to pay attention to my guests when they're on <laughs> i'm paying plenty
0: of attention thank you
1: I do have some stuff built. It's just uh, this week I've been caught up getting some other things done, so unfortunately my painting has gone as far as um, I got them assembled and primed. Yeah, they're getting there. They'll be done. Fantastic, promise. So awesome.
0: We, we have we have been well. I, I've been working on them a little bit here and there. Yeah. All right. So, how about a little bit on the Kickstarter?
2: What's all in it? Okay. So the Kickstarter as as you know the the last Kickstarter that I did was to get the models out and so I, I got all of these uh you know a faction set of uh black squadron security and a faction set of breakers out and I had all these all these models, but there was not enough resources from that, and I also ha- didn't have the book done yet um to get out the rule book so I went back to uh um you know the design stage. And finished up the uh, the uh, rules rules to the game. Did a lot more play testing <clears throat> because even when you think that you're almost done, you're you're always like, oh, I could do more, and so <laughs> and I can make this better. So you, I, I went back and I did more refining because I'm like, well, I've got time. I just ran a Kickstarter. I need to get all these all these models out to my backers, what have you. And so um, that extra that extra time gave me gave me the ability to really i think hone the game into something uh, that uh, i'm I know i 'm very excited about, and so it also meant that uh, we were able to um, complete the design stage of a bunch of the things that you need in order to play broken contract. One of the things that i uh, um, really wanted to do with broken contract is that when I play a play a miniature game, I don't like there being tokens all over the board. I find it very distracting. I want to immerse myself in the experience, and so when I'm when I'm sitting there and I'm I'm looking at you know if I'm I'm playing you know Imperial Assault or or what have you and there's just you know pieces of uh, cardboard all over the board and pieces all over the place. I I want. To all, all my dice and everything to be like cleared off of the board so I can be immersed in the visual. And so one of the key things in, uh, in broken contract was developing a character dashboard, similar to that used in uh, Zombicide, zombie side that actually also kept track of all of the tokens that you would use in the game so that everything can be off to the sides. You've got your character cards on the dashboard, keep track of your wounds, keep track of uh, um, how many actions characters have remaining. If there's, under the effects of shock or some other effect, all that's confined to uh, confined to the character dashboards and you can immerse yourself in the game. And so that meant designing the character uh, dashboards It meant, you know, designing all of the tokens. It meant designing all of the, uh, all of the cards that go on the, uh, on the um, dashboards. And it also meant uh, designing uh, a, a, um, Gaming tiles, so that uh if you did want to uh play it as a a board game type of experience, you could have all of your uh models set up on the uh, on the tiles you could play you know straight straight out of the uh, out of the book with the tiles um, and you didn't have to build any scenery, but they make a great guide in order to build your own scenery so yeah that the the Kickstarter is to get people the rule book to get people the board tiles to get people the character dashboards and the tokens, and also to get uh their uh special dice used in the game so I wanted to be able to get all of those things to uh to the to the people around the world that uh hopefully are uh, excited about uh um, worker insurrection, so yeah, that's basically it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. hey, so work,
0: worker insurrection is, is always cool when it's you know bad guys beating on the little guy.
1: Well, <laughs> yep. it depends on what side of that you're on.
2: Yeah, you know, <laughs> different, different people have different ideas, you know. So, but uh, but yeah, that so the, the the Kickstarter is is really to get all of that all of that printed stuff uh, manufactured, and uh, the goal is to also get it all done. Uh, by Adepticon.
1: Boy, I know that feeling.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were actually just having that conversation, and I think the a number ten weeks was uh, put out there for when Adepticon is. Yeah, yes. I said I'm crapping
1: my pants.
2: <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> so, nice. so we've got Speaking we've got a d-
0: deadline of getting everything out by Adepticon.
1: Yep. Yes, on everything. So speaking of Adepticon, are you going to have your own booth, or are you uh, teaming up with somebody? Um, I will be. Uh, uh, have you been to Adepticon before? Yes.
2: Okay. So, do you know the uh, uh, at the uh, convention center that they currently use? Do you know the the main hallway that everybody has to go down to get to the uh, to get to the um, get to like the forty k uh,
1: hall and the other halls? Yeah, so it's it's the main hallway, because if I remember correctly, and I'm sure our listeners are like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's okay. You'll understand <laughs> if you go to Adepticon. Um, the check-in and everything's on the second floor, and then yep. you kind of take stairs down from there, and you head off to your left, and you kind of pass by what will be on your right-hand side, like the Warhammer Fantasy Room and the Malifaux Room. Correct. War Machine is up on its own floor, and then you kind of get to, like, the big hall where there's the 40K room, and then on the other side of it is the, uh, the actual vendor hall, but there's a hallway where usually some vendors set up out in the hallway. Yes. And I don't know (laughs) if it's a cost thing or what. Yeah.
2: Usually, um, the last couple of years I've ended up setting up in the hallway just outside of the Warhammer fantasy, uh, uh, room. And so, uh, I will, uh, I, I know that I've already got approval to be in the hallway where they're going to stick me in the hallway. I don't know exactly. Um, but, uh, I like being there because it's it's a, a main thoroughfare and uh, it's not as when when you would try to run demos in the uh, in the 40k hall because they would they, they would set up the demos in between the the vendors and the 40k uh, um, major tournaments and you would basically have everybody that were they were so caught up in the 40k tournaments that they didn't come over and do any demos so then we pack everything up and go out into the hallway where everybody was you know. Spending their downtime, and that's that's where I'll be.
1: You awesome. genius son of a bitch! So I was <laughs> gonna say that's actually a really good way to do it because I know this from experience. But you know, obviously, I've mentioned numerous times I used to work for year Not. That's how I was at Adepticon a lot of the time. Okay. So, like, we were obviously Crystal Brush, and then our our year Not booth was right next to that in the hall. Mm-hmm. But I cannot tell you how many times people were like, you know, especially because prime time hall hours. You're only open during that that time frame. Then every that whole section gets walled off. But there's so mm-hmm. many people that are focused on 40k, and that room gets so loud that a lot of people walk in, and they kind of go, "Fuck this," and they walk right back out. Yeah. So there's a lot of times that I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities for sales, especially if you're you know, I, yeah. I hate to say it, but like a smaller independent guy. Yeah. You know, so to where it's like that hall is almost a detriment to you. So going out or you know the 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 big grand hall, I should say. It's yeah. a detriment compared to you setting up in the hallway where you're just catching everybody walking by that are just kind of hanging yeah. out.
2: Yeah, the the one the, the one small company that it worked out really well for is Anvil 8 because uh, their game Ethereum oh, yeah. they were um, right they they had their tables set up right by the vendor uh, the vendor area and so they would talk to people at the vendor area and then lead them to one of five Ethereum setups. And so they just had that constant, like, because there, there's Anvil 8, there's eight of them. Uh, so they just had this, like, constant uh, um, um, be able to, like, meet, talk to somebody, and then take somebody over to a table, whereas, you know, I'm going to have hopefully one or two people with me um, so that uh, we can, you know, trade off on demo games and be able to chat with people. But n- you don't have that same level of uh, of where you've got this, like, crew that are able to uh, – to, uh, yeah, just <laughs> to work together. Yeah, work together.
1: So. Yep. I was gonna say, are you handling the solo, or are you bringing a couple other people in to help you out? Um, I've got
2: uh, I've got somebody that's coming with me from Milwaukee, and uh, hopefully uh, one of my old uh, Games Workshop buddies is going to be coming out from Seattle.
1: Nice. So. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Okay, so you do have a little bit of help because that's always one yeah. of the things. Like uh, I remember seeing the antimatter games guys, and usually it was just one person running that booth at any particular time.
2: Is it antimatter? Is that is that deep Wars?
1: Yes, and uh, yeah. Shadow C. Yeah,
2: he 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 he, de- he definitely like he, he's usually set up a, a, a in this in the same hallway as I am, and he's. It's just him, and he he just grinds out demo after demo after demo, and his demos are long, so it's just like a
1: constant grind. So yeah, yeah. So how do you how do you find with a game like uh, your size of a game like, obviously you only have a handful of models per side. You kind of have a little <laughs> bit of that you know RPG element. You know, I I like to call it RPG light, and what I mean by that is like you do more than just like melee and shoot people and move. Yeah. Um. So how how do you normally handle your demos? Because I know that there's certain people that feel like their games need like a full half hour demo. There's certain people that are like, I could get a demo done in 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and teach people like the ropes. Like what do you kind of find to be your sweet spot on that? I think that
2: I come from, uh, because I was, I worked for games workshop retail. They were very big on fast, fun and furious, get it done in 20 minutes or less. And so I still have that ingrained in my mindset. So um, when somebody comes up to comes up to the table, um, I've got a demo usually set up with uh, a handful of board sections. Uh, so like uh, like three or four board sections, and uh, like three models on one side, two models on the other, and we just you know bang it out in uh, in four to six turns, which usually is about fifteen minutes. So. So yeah, that's 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 really because you don't want people you want people to get a sense of how the game plays. You don't want to get too much into the into the nitty gritty unless they ask, and you right. really just want to be able to uh, have them have an enjoyable experience. And then that uh, that way you also run into if somebody looks like they're not having fun, you can move them along so you can get to the person who's actually going to be interested. So yeah, there are there are people that uh like you know I've 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 seen other demos that you know that they, they play it out like they play they're playing a full game and that's just too long, at least not for especially if I can if if I'm running demos and I'm running demos by myself or with one other person and we are trying to reach as many people as possible, if you're in there for 10 hours and you're banging out one demo every hour you're only gonna get in 10 demos. Whereas if you're banging out a demo every 15 to 20 minutes, you can get in a whole lot more,
1: expose it to a whole lot more people. Right. So do you, I gotta ask you this because uh, this is something that I've noticed really kind of pop up at Adepticon Ooh. over the years. So for those of you listening that don't that don't know and have been interested in Adepticon, um, one of the things that Adepticon does, I personally don't agree with it too much, but like if you want to have like quote unquote demos in the in the gaming hall, Mm-hmm. They charge you a ticket, which I always found to be a little weird. So, like, even if you have, like, multiple demo tables set up, and this is something I remember from my Coolman Year Not days where it's, like, we're running Dark Age and Wrath of Kings. Well, we mm-hmm. have those big lines of tables. And so we end up having to basically say this is a four-hour demo block mm-hmm. where you get to play multiple demos of multiple factions within that time frame, and it still costs you, like, ten bucks in order to do it, and it's just – like to me, that's always been one of those things that like I disagreed with, but at Ooh. the same time, like uh, what a lot of people have done is they wait until after like your typical hall hours, and then they kind of do like guerrilla setup in the in the miniature hall because there's all that that empty table space, yeah. And then uh, they start running demos from there. That was actually something that uh, Ninja Division did a couple years back that helped them really catch on with a lot of their games. They kind of you know yeah. they had they had their booth. They said, hey, yeah, cool. They ran like a little, you know, 18-inch by 18-inch demo. Mm-hmm. And they were like, so at 8 o'clock, we're going to be running demos of Relic Knights over here. Yeah. And that seemed to work really well for them. So I was wondering, do you have anything like that planned where people could find you?
2: Um, as, of, as of right now, I don't have anything like that planned. Um, I do know that, uh, you know, people at, at Adepticon last year, for example, there were a number of people that asked me if they could get a longer game later in the day. And I accommodated that um, because uh, I'm, I'm trying to sell people on the game. I'm not going to say no. You know, I, right. I, I want <laughs> I, I want people to be excited about about broken contract. And so, if uh, if somebody needs needs a more in depth experience, I'm not I am not going to deny them. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it is a very long day, and so I think that uh, um, it. I personally am just going to go in and play it by ear, and if people need, you know, a a, a more in depth experience, that I I will offer it. Um, but uh, if if at the end of the day there's there's no one around and it's it's time to go get food, it's time to go get food and
1: go to bed. So <laughs> yeah, I understand that one completely. I can't tell you how many times I've done the whole like I'm up till two a.m. I wake up at six and then I'm back in the hall and I'm like. Okay, time to turn on the game face. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: you know that. I, you know that's that's part of the deal, though. You know, I, I feel like uh, working in in retail or in sales for pretty much most of my life, combined with the intense games workshop training. Um, you know, I I, I I can walk into a retail setting or a a sales setting and just turn it on and run with it until. I have to crash. And then when it's time to crash, I crash. So.
1: Yeah, I know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I usually tell people it's like, the only thing that's keeping me going right now is like adrenaline and bison and vinegar and this coffee. <laughs> 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 and that's about all I've got in my system right now. Yep. Awesome. So Adepticon going to be a big show for you. So do you plan on going to any other shows with broken contract or, I know that obviously focus on the Kickstarter is a big thing right now, focusing on getting the book and the cardboard pieces out. But do you have any other shows planned in the future in order to hopefully bring Broken Contract out there a little bit more into the fold? You know, I actually um, – my goal is to hit
2: three to six this year, but I don't know which ones. Because one of the one of the trickiest things is um, – <laughs> of, all, of all things is – I have dogs (laughs) and so making sure that the, the the dogs are cared for for an entire weekend, it gets expensive. So, um, so yeah, you know, the, uh, the goal is I, I want to hit a Depticon. I want to hit at least one or two local conventions. I've been meaning to, um, hit the uh, beef and wing brawl in Buffalo for years. Um, because that's actually, uh, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. And so it's, it's a way that I can go and see my family and, uh, also, uh, you know, network with, uh, with people that I've already known for years. So I want to hit, I want to hit those. Um, but really, you know, like certain things like, you know, I would love to hit Gen Con, but it's so expensive (laughs) and so long. So, um, really at this point, I'm just playing it by year based upon, you know, how much time can I get off? You know, um, can I, can I be able to accommodate the dogs and then go?
1: Right. And that makes sense. Have you, have you looked at some of the other conventions in the uh, Wisconsin area, like game hole con? I know that's kind of, for the most part, an RPG convention, but
2: you know, I actually, it's, it's funny. Uh, Um, midwinter just, just passed. And I was, I was going to go set up at midwinter, but, uh, um we have a yearly uh family holiday gathering that is in January and sure enough it fell on the exact same weekend as midwinter so i was like eh so but uh but yeah there's there's midwinter there's game on, there's um there's another uh another one that the people that do midwinter do in the summer it seems it seems like in in milwaukee area there's a convention pretty much every you know like 2 months so you know, whether whether they accommodate more to RPGs, which most of them do, or whether they accommodate board games, there's there's even one that uh, accommodates like a mix of board games and arca- arcade games. But, um, you know, it all depends on,
1: on um, what's coming up at what time. So, yeah, well, keep no. in mind, if you ever decide to go to Anime Milwaukee and set up a booth, I can't go in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've 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 heard that story. We can move along.
2: <laughs> Just a fair warning. But But uh, Tim assaulting small animals is
0: always funny. Anyway,
1: (laughs) for for the listeners, I'm just shaking my head. (laughs) (laughs) I've got dickhead friends. What do you want me to say? uh, (laughs) So cool. So you do have a couple other conventions planned. And I understand the whole dog aspect. I mean, I've got to deal with that too. You know, luckily, like – when I have a lot of convention time planned, like the wife's at home, but at the same time, I don't want her just sitting at home with the dogs. So yeah, that's always a very, very hard balance to pull off. Um, so as far as the Kickstarter goes, how far along are you right now to like getting funded and getting everything else going? Um, when I looked um, uh, probably like two hours ago,
2: I was at like 33%, like 30 32 or 33%. So I'm a third of the way there. Um, I, uh, um, things, things have, once you get past those first couple of days, things tend to slow down. And, uh, we're, we're in that slowdown right now. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, I've got some, some good promo coming. Ash Barker just finished, uh, painting up his breakers. And I'm very excited about that. Um, cause, uh, there should be a, uh, let's play on grill miniature games. And, uh, Obviously, I'm talking to you guys, which I'm very excited about. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can uh, get uh, get a little a little mid uh, mid campaign action, uh, so that uh, um, we can come in with a strong finish and maybe uh, maybe use uh, a little bit of a, a, additional. If we can get past the uh, five grand mark, um, we can use a little bit of that to uh, maybe
1: uh, start on some new models or something. So, ooh, new yeah, models. That would probably uh, entice a lot of people to get that going because you know yeah. we're all you know most of us miniatures gamers we're like what's the next shiny give us the next shiny
2: exactly
0: so. shiny <laughs> I
1: don't the know what thing. you guys there's are guys talking to, about at all yeah I was gonna say then there's guys like Nick where he just finds a Kickstarter he's like hey look it's hentai models I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and donate oh um, whoa, whoa, whoa
0: whoa whoa come on they're <laughs> high quality hentai models.
1: Oh, so you're going for King of Death Monster, but uh, anyway,
0: so,
1: <laughs> broken contract. It's obviously it's very scenario based, and I know that you said that like that's kind of the upcoming thing is this scenario book. Yeah. Um, how many current scenarios do you have out for the game? Like between like online digital and what will be in the physical rule book? And well, like, uh, what do you kind of have planned for it?
2: I I, I actually um I've on my blog I've probably probably put up about five scenarios three of which have been modified extensively and are in the book and the uh the scenario section of the uh rule book actually uh it goes through a an initial break attempt so the uh the act of a group of of uh breakers uh the opening opening uh opening salvo is actually called from nothing. And it is a bunch of unarmed breakers uh, trying to uh, uh, break into a storage container full of weapons or equipment in order to uh, hopefully uh, um, get a bunch of shovels and pickaxes and get off the board. And it escalates from there. And the goal with um, sticking to just three, uh, three scenarios is because I, I wanted to, be able to give people a taste of a campaign's uh, what a campaign would be like in Broken Contract without going full on. And one of one of the things that uh, Broken Contract uses is um, uh, I kind of wanted to model it after a TV show and how you have commercial breaks. And so just like when you write a uh, write a uh, um, A play or uh, or you know ultimately when you're uh, writing a screenplay you break things into three acts Uh, the each scenario um, is an act and a mini campaign of three scenarios is called an episode and so the book sets that up by having an introductory episode and it will take the characters through this initial break attempt and so that's 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 what's in the book Ultimately, the, uh, I've got a bunch of other scenarios that are written and a, a bunch more that are sketched out because um, I have uh, flowcharts of uh, different, uh, different ways for uh, scenarios to play out. And uh, um, ultimately, when I get to doing the farum Sky campaign book, uh, it will be broken, broken down into a series of episodes in order to basically kind of like how how a lot of uh, a lot of games these days have a season, I wanted the, a season of broken contract to be just like a season uh, of like a TV show. So that's that's where where I'm going with
1: that. That's the angle. Awesome. So you you are definitely trying to keep it constantly moving and constantly fresh. And there's gonna be a lot of back and forth between uh, the two factions themselves, as far as like. Who's going to gain an upper hand based upon what the outcome is of this season compared to the next? Yeah, that's
2: one of the interesting things is, is that when, you are, uh, when you're working with a narrative like this, you can start off. I, I, th- I think we talked about this in the, uh, in the other interview, is that when you start off with something very small, you can continue to build on it and build on it and build on it. And you're not really constrained by anything that you said before. Yeah. Um and so really, the uh, the ultimately with the initial storyline of the breakers and the black squadron security, you can go through um, them trying to work their way out of the mines. In when we do the uh, Ferum Sky campaign book, um, I want to introduce loyalist miners as well as uh, uh, criminal factions. So that way you you get more of a sense of what life is like in the mines and not everybody's on the same page. So it's a way to introduce more factions, build on the story, have every all of these, uh, these groups interplay into a storyline. And then if we get to the point where we get to season two, uh, then it'll be basically after the breakers have gotten out of the mines and – going into what is, what is the planet Hathor where, where everything is taking place? What, what is it like out in the bone lands? What with, uh, uh, if you, if you were to, (laughs) if you were to go all the way back, um, on my blog to like some of the earliest writings you can find out, uh, there's, there's already been mapped out three years ago where the story of some of where the story evolves to going into, uh, going into season two, season three and season four, but you'd really have to dig and it's not really
1: worth it, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Easter eggs, people. Yep. He's going to do their homework. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the idea of like the loyalist miners and all that too, because that's one thing that like, it can be really hard to keep a, a fresh perspective on things when you only have like, you know, if you want to call it like good guys versus bad guys. Well, that. After a while, it's kind of like, well, okay, so the bad guys are always going to do bad things. The good guys are always going to do good things versus the bad guys. And like, yeah, loyalist miners. Well, that allows two people, you know, who are kind of potentially playing with the same, you know, breaker models or mm-hmm. something along those lines where it's like, okay, well, you know, the breakers think these guys are friends. And then like, there's a scenario where it's like the loyalist miners backstab them, yep. trapped in a mine or, you know, something Something along those lines so it kind of adds you know those oh shit moments to the game where it's like okay you you've been playing the breakers for this long and like you've been doing great in the campaign and your, your breakers have been doing great and then suddenly you play against these loyalist miners and like the way the scenario is set you know at first they're kind of like i don't know npcs and then after a while they're like and eh, no we're actually working for them yeah well that, that's
2: that's the thing like one of one of the, uh, a perfect example of, of kind of where, um, not in storyline, but in, in how narratives progress. If you look at something like Walking Dead, they're essentially that, that group of people. They're like a faction. And right. they bring other factions in, and sometimes everything goes to pot, and other times it works out great. And then they band together against another faction, and there's going to be a lot of that type of interplay in uh, in broken contract and because broken contract uses an initiative system where each individual model has its own initiative, you can play multiplayer games without it bogging down. And that means that you can have somebody having loyalists and having uh, breakers and having black squadron security. And you can have a scenario that involves all three and it can be enjoyable and everybody gets to participate fully instead of like when you play like a three-player 40k game and you have one person's fighting this person and this person's fighting that person and the two people kill each other and then the one person sweeps in and wins the game you right. don't have that type of dynamic in in broken contracts because each each group would have their own their own um their own objectives because of the fact that they're they're different groups they have different different wants and needs and so yeah there's 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 a lot that you can do with with the type of structure
1: that I'm working with. Awesome. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, that, that actually makes for a much more in depth and interesting game when it, when it's approached in that way compared to, you know, just me versus you. Yeah. So it, it also allows you as an, you know, kind of an independent guy to really be as creative as you want to with the whole process as well and say, you know what, I'm going to do this faction now and I could do this faction later. And like you could create all these different factions that may or may not ever be used Yep. Based upon how you want to roll with it, so that's that's actually a really good way of handling it. So with that, obviously, you know, we, we're we're talking a little bit into the future here. Do you plan on like upping the model count or upping the kind of models that are used in broken contract? Like eventually getting out of the mines and maybe seeing some vehicles? Or yeah, well, that's people using a couple more models. All right, we're gonna
2: we're we're gonna we're gonna rewind to, um. What was it? Two thousand twelve? Two thousand? Okay, so um, we go we go way back to um, I uh, was one of the uh, the people helping out with the uh, post apocalyptic game wreckage, okay. and so I was I was I was briefly a, a a partner in Hyacinth Games, and when I left, I thought to myself, you know, I want to start my own game, and I was like, "What do I want to do?" And the first thought that came to mind came yeah, came to mind was I wanted to make something with vehicles that had that that vibe of Gorkamorka, and so I started sketching out rules, and that's where my original like action and interruption system came from. Though there was like, uh, you know things for speeds for vehicles and what have you. And so I I, I had this rough structure that I started sketching out. And then I thought to myself, there is no way that at this smallest scale, I am going to be able to afford to get vehicles sculpted. It's just not viable. But um, you, 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 you have to dream. And so uh, (laughs) ultimately, the goal is to eventually um get uh get vehicle rules added into the game i have them sketched out they've been sketched out f- since the beginning i even have sitting off to the side of me i've got a couple of a uh, couple of trucks <laughs> that uh um have been waiting for 3 years now to uh, get some paint on them um but uh ultimately uh there is there's with on the planet of hathor there is trade between the different uh the different settlements there's agrodomes and there's uh the uh the the mine settlements and so you've got to be able to facilitate um you know getting the foodstuffs from the agrodomes to the uh to the uh um mines and vice and you know the materials from the mines to other settlements etc and so ultimately the goal is to hopefully get to the point where we have uh, what are called big riggers, which are uh, um, a faction uh, that allows for, yeah, sma- smashing up trucks and and, uh, and uh, um, you know doing a uh, doing you know ambushes on convoys and all that good stuff. But wow, you know that's that's <laughs> hopefully we get there, but that's 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 a long way off. A long way off but ultimately yeah all of that stuff has been thought about the um, within broken contract now um once right now a, a good model count is you know four to six models per side but once you get to know the rules really well you can start upping the model count uh, I know that you know when I've you know done play testing by myself you know I've, I've you know played with you know 14 models on on the board and for me, it plays fine, but for somebody that, you know, if I, if I brought in a bunch of, of people that have never played the game before and said, okay, we're going to play this game with 14 models, it would take three hours. But, um, you know, it all, it all depends. It all, it, you know, it's just, it's just like 40K. You know, you, you, when you go from a 1,000 points and playing a, uh, an hour to hour and a half game tops to uh, playing, uh, you know, the, at tournament level where it's a two-and-a-half-hour game, um, you know, the, the more you scale things up, the slower it goes. But, uh, the one thing that is in broken contract, um, there is a, uh, you can form teams and so that then you can move all of the, all of a group of, uh, people at the same time. Um, and that will make it easier for people to scale up. So, yeah. And ultimately, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know you know about gen mods. we've talked about that before there there are you know bigger bigger human humans that have been genetically modified uh drones exist in the game, and so there's a lot of a lot of stuff that I can expand on without going into something like aliens or um you know right. things that you kind of expect i want I want something more like firefly where it's human based um but uh but you know fantastical at the same time <laughs>
1: That's right. awesome. I can understand
0: that. So uh, one thing you mentioned at the beginning is that the rule book is pretty much all just rules. There's a yep. little bit of scenarios. There's a little bit of fluff in there, but that the rules are, you know, kind of actually open for anybody to look at and
2: use for any game. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the goal is because one of the things that, that I really wanted to do was make a, Rule set that was um, good for doing any type of action and adventure type of setting. I wanted a set of rules that, if you changed out the cards, you could play it as pirates. You could play it as as um, as uh, you know, Wild West. You could play it as really whatever you wanted. It, it's it's an action and adventure game, and all you need to do is reskin it. And so that was ultimately the goal, was to make a game that could be uh, reskinned. And originally, um, like there are, you know, I, I could, that, that's already gone through editing, I could throw 24 pages of fluff into this book tomorrow. Um, but ultimately, if, if, if I did that, then it would make the game exclu- feel more exclusively for the broken contract setting. And I wanted something even though it's got all the broken contract trappings on it, somebody who's innovative can look at it and be like, "Oh, I can apply this to anything." And really that's that's the goal. If you wanted to play indie, you know, like an Indiana Jones type of game, uh this would work perfect cuz that's really what it's designed for. So it's it's really what whatever people want to do and if if they want to ignore the like you know, one page of or not one page, but the, you know, two paragraphs of introduction at the beginning and the uh, the, uh, you know, setups to the scenarios. Boom, you've got a uh, you've got a game that you can uh,
1: adapt to, you know, whatever setting you want. Nice. Awesome. So, you, so that, that's always cool when people leave their games open enough to interpretation to where they could be used for other things because I always felt like, the, especially nowadays in the, the current climate of games out there, I think that in a way that's kind of important.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that one, of what sparked that I'm, I'm actually going to give props to, uh, uh, one of my last Kickstarter backers, this guy, uh, Rob from Spain. Um, he actually, uh, was really excited of, about the uh, models. He actually did some of the, some of the early play testing as well. Um, but, uh, he actually said that he's one of those guys that he buys a rule book and he just ignores all of the fluff. And so I thought to myself, I was like, huh, you know, that's not how I usually approach games, but, you know, are there other people out there that do that? And then, you know, you look at something like, uh, you know, like, uh, what's that forum, Lead Adventure? Um, there are people that they they really – they use rule sets to just do whatever they want with whatever models they want. And I want, want people to feel like they can do that with broken contract. You know, I didn't want to go so far as to say, this is a generic, uh, you know, adventure rule set. You know, I didn't want to do that because obviously that's not going to sell models. (laughs) And right. Exactly. uh, Model, you know, the, the models, all of the all of the background that I've written, all of the models that I've created, the art that I've spent money on, all of that stuff is important to me. Um, but I do want people who just want a rule set to also be able to to look at Broken Contract and say, "Oh, you know, if I buy this, it's only fifteen bucks, and it doesn't have a bunch of crap that I'm not going to use uh, because I make up my own shit anyway." So yeah, this this actually looks pretty awesome, and I wanted to be able to accommodate that. And then somebody who wants to so, uh, really immerse themselves in broken contract, that's where the Ferrum Sky uh, campaign book comes in. Gotcha.
0: Okay. That's awesome. I, I like that.
1: So it sounds like you put a lot of careful consideration into that aspect. I, <laughs> I,
2: I try. I, I spend a lot of time thinking. There are some times that you, you you think about something and you put a lot of thought into something and it works exactly as you planned and then there are other times where it does not. Um, one of the things that uh, that uh, hasn't proven to be particularly popular in the uh, in the Kickstarter is actually the board game tiles. Uh, the board game tiles was something that I thought was very important to what I wanted to accomplish with uh, with this Kickstarter, and they haven't proven to be particularly uh, popular. But I think that a lot of the people that are supporting the Kickstarter are the people that are going to build their own table setups anyway. So, you know it, you true. you don't really you don't really know what people are going to do until
1: you put it in front of them and see what they do. So, you I think in, in its own kind of like joking way, I think you messed that up by designing the board that you did because everybody now is thinking like, "Oh, look at these cool three D mine walls, and you can run between yeah. <laughs> these like cardboard cutouts." are like, "What the fuck is this? I want the cool three D mine walls." Where's that shit? Yeah, you, know, right. you know, I you know when when I was originally
2: conceiving what I wanted to do. I really wanted to do a, a board game that was expandable into a miniature game. And ultimately having all the components for a board game is fucking expensive. (laughs) And (laughs) um, so it's like, like all of the, like, I I don't even know, like I won't, I won't get my stuff manufactured in China. That's one of, one of the, the hard, fast rules of what breaker press does. Um, everything that's that's part of the Kickstarter is all manufactured uh, actually with within Wisconsin or uh, <laughs> Wisconsin, Illinois or Indiana. Basically, you know, like a hundred mile radius. That is the goal, and so um, the uh, the cost of doing business obviously uh, when with going local is way more expensive. And you can you can you know whittle things down and whittle things down by you know searching for the best price and searching for the best price you know trying to get while trying to get the best quality. Um, but ultimately, when I'm trying to create, a, if I was trying to create a board game package, there's no way that I can compete with you know let's say Cool Mini or not and what what they can produce. It's just it's just not feasible. They can throw so many cards and 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 cardstock pieces and, you know, the rule book and, you know, create a million different models. I just, I, I can't do that. Um, and, and not be able to, to do it at a, a price that people are going to be willing to pay. Um, unless, unless I had that massive boutique appeal of something like kingdom death and I don't. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know, we all just, wish though. Yeah. <laughs> But nice. you know, that's, that's, that's never, never going to happen. All of my, all of my uh, female characters are all properly proportioned. So,
1: <laughs> that's where you fucked up.
2: Uh, you know, <laughs> you got you to draw hard lines in the sand somewhere.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh no, we have properly proportioned females that have to wear real clothes. Like yeah. you would see in a mine. They're not just running around in giant tank tops.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's so terrible.
1: I know. Uh, what are you doing? How dare yeah. you? You know, here,
0: here's one of them. I haven't put her arm on where she's getting ready to bash
2: someone. Oh, know. yep. Officer Anlika. There you go. Oh, yeah. And she
1: didn't <laughs> have body armor that would fit like normal body armor. Who would have thought?
0: Right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at all that. It's so terrible.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. What else do you guys want to know? Uh, I think for the most part, we covered a lot of it, but there's one thing that I, I've been wanting to ask because, like, it, it kind of comes in ebbs and flows. Like, do you see on, like, more of the independent side, like, a lot more games coming out that are post-APOC? Because um, I've noticed that on the indie side, we're seeing a lot of it, but on, like, I guess if you want to call it a major company side, we're, like, they, they avoid it like the plague for the most part.
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know... The one thing with 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 post apocalyptic uh, stuff is that you've got so many indies that are all compa- co- competing for that genre because you've got you know this is not a test you've got across the dead earth you've got wreckage uh, you've got um, oh there's um, punk apocalyptic there's another one that I'm forgetting that they ran a couple of Kickstarters. So you've got all of these Indies all competing for, uh, for, you know, like a, uh, you know, Mad Max inspired, you know, post-apoc uh, type of feel. And so it's kind of, kind of a flooded market. And then when you add in zombie games, which is also, you know, essentially post-apoc um, just a, a different spin on it, you've, you've really got a whole lot of stuff. And when you include those, that means that Zombicide, um, Ash's, uh, new game that's going to come out on Osprey, uh, through Osprey. And then, uh, um, you know, um, uh, Walking Dead. And I feel like there's another one, something Z, um, that, uh, that came out recently. Uh, you've got, you've got a lot of different options. And so, uh, I don't think that, uh, that there really needs to be a whole lot, a whole lot more of that explored. Uh, just like I feel like you know, like steampunk is kind of kind of tapped right now too. Um, I don't know what the next big thing is going to be. You know, I'm I'm hoping that you know because um, Broken Contract has a little bit of that wild west feel um, because it's you know I was drawing off of things like. Firefly and the movie cool hand Luke. Uh, those were some of, some of the influences that I was, that I was drawing from. I think that, you know, mine has a, a little bit of a different spin, but people that are going to buy my buy mine for the models are probably if, if, if they don't play it as broken contract, they're probably going to throw it into this is not a test or, or a game like that. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what people are, are going to latch on to next. It's hard to tell.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I can definitely <laughs> – it, Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to look at because, you know, like I, I see, again, on the indie side, there's a ton of post-APOC coming up in all different forms and formats, you know, from yeah. – I don't want to call them Mad Max clones, but, like, you get a lot of those, and you've got, you know, you've got, like, Ashes game, which is a zombie post-APOC game. Plus, you've also yeah. got, like, Mantix, The Walking Dead, All-Out War. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of different variants on it out there. Um, I do agree. I think steampunk at this point is kind of dead. I think that uh, cosplayers ruined it, but that's a different story. Um, So, um, but you know, I I just I I do kind of wonder what the next what the next I guess fad would be. Yeah, thinking on like the independent level, you know, because like you've always got like your 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 hardline sci-fi and your fantasy. Like Mm -hmm. those are almost never going to go away. Yeah, But, like, th- there's got to be iterations in there that like, have an untapped market at this point. Uh, personally, I think in a way, like, zombies are kind of dead now. You know, not, yeah. not not for nothing, but, like, we've kind of seen, like, Zombicide and Zombicide Season 2 and Zombicide Season 3 and Zombicide yeah. Plague and you know, however many other zombie games that there are out there that were Me Too's in the board gaming side of that, I think, kind of ruined it for the miniature side. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I almost wonder, like, you, you mentioned Necromunda in the beginning. I, I'm mm-hmm. almost wondering if more games like Necromunda or Wardheim or, you know, this the Dark Blow will be coming out that actually, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, that will kind of move people more in that direction. Like, I, I consider Broken Contract and kind of that same, like, miniatures game with RPG elements. Like, you should yeah. give a shit about your your your, your warband or your, your gang or whatever, because, like, like these are people. They're not just like, oh, well, I'm playing a game, and like if this dude dies, I don't care. Like, ha- like seeing those games that there's ramifications for just getting your ass kicked that yeah. follow into the next game. Yeah, that was one of the things I really liked about Necromunda and Mordheim because it's like after a while, it's like you look at Necromunda, it's all spires and everything else. And yeah, like, <laughs> you know, you just you get that one guy that like is running around the board with like the the stub pistol and the knife, and like next thing you know, he gets his legs blown off, and now it's like. His movements cut in half because he's basically got two peg legs and can't climb anything. It, that, it's, it's the Black Knight. Come back here! I will gnaw your ankles off.
2: <laughs> so, I, 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 some of some of my favorite moments of gaming ever were playing Necromunda, and I. It's funny. There's there's one guy <laughs> that. Uh, he came in. Uh, I've been in, in bands for years, and there's this one guy that you know, he, we were supposed to have band practice, and he, he he like shows up and he walked in just as somebody said, I'm on fire, and somebody's taking all my loot. <laughs> and the guy just, he had no no context of gaming, and so he just threw that at me every time I'd be like hanging out somewhere. <laughs> you're on fire, and someone's taking all your loot. But it's funny because it's those types of moments that really are the things that you that you remember you know it's 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 when your your character as as you used as the example got both of their legs blown off and um you you know uh still some still somehow won the game it's it's those games are geared for water cooler moments when when somebody recounts to me what happened in a game like a tournament game of 40k it comes down to die rolls, and unit types, and special rules, it's, you don't get that personality of that one character, and that one thing that happened, that they make, you can have a good, you can have a good story with, with 40k, and you can, you know, revel in the moment, but it's, you're not going to remember it like something that happened in a game of, of Necromunda or Mordheim, you're just not,
1: right. And I think a lot of that, too, is that there's the disparity between the models. Like, you've got your, your juvies and your gangers and your gang leaders. And mm-hmm. it's like, the, the, like, the water cooler story comes back to, like, that juvie with the shotgun that's up on, like, a gangplank that just, like, goes crazy and just starts shooting everybody and knocks them all off the gangplank. So there's yep. one juvie that, right, should just be dead, kills yep. off, like, half of the other person's gang because, like, you just rolled awesome yep yeah he, he, that's like you know
2: because you could fall off a, a, off of a walkway um, if you were within one inch of it if you got shot if, if, if that juvie got a lucky shot with their stub pistol and and the person failed their role, they'd fallen off, fallen off the plank and that's really there are, in in the play testing that I've been doing in the last last couple of uh, months with broken contract, something like that has happened every single time. Um, you know, whether, whether it was uh, the last game that we played, there was there was a moment where I had a character who had run out of actions that was right at the edge of the board that they needed to get off. And I ran with one of my other characters and made a push action to try and push them off the edge so that I could get the, vict- the victory point and then run off with that other person, get an additional victory point. I unfortunately failed the role, but it, it doesn't matter. It like, it's going to stick in my mind that, you know, I had the opportunity to, to do something like this. And in, in, in 40 K you usually don't really get stuff like that. Like, you know, maybe like uh you know, like um if in fantasy, like if you had a movement spell, you might get, get something like that. But generally, generally speaking, the, the actions that you can take in a game like Necromunda or a game like Broken Contract are, they have more personality and have more depth so
1: yes and I, i'm almost <laughs> wondering like if that's what we're going to start seeing more of I I I, I,
2: I I I micro skirmish games seem to be a a more popular thing you're you're seeing more of them popping up because you have only a handful of models to paint they play on smaller board sizes and you um you you don't have that same level of of investment and so you can you can have a, a like a game like like i am so excited for the relic blade uh campaign book that's coming out um because i think that a game like relic blade has a lot of legs there's there's a lot that he can do with that and um you're just going to see these these smaller scale games just doing I, I think continually doing well, but the thing that you've got to remember about something like Broken Contract or Relic Blade, when you try to think about like, because I worked for Games Workshop when Necromunda was in its first in, in in incarnation, and the reason why Games Workshop got rid of specialist games at that time is because of the fact that there was what they referred to as a limited metal tail, essentially as after that first few months of excitement when Necromunda came out, the amount that people spent on Necromunda declined and declined and declined and declined until the people who collected multiple gangs maybe were still buying a model here and there. But unless somebody new got into Necromunda, they weren't making big purchases. Whereas something like 40K or Fantasy, people had to spend, you know, you know three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars to really get invested in the game. And that's where all of their money, that's where all of Games Workshop's money came was coming from, was from these people that were, you know, investing in these, you know, these big games. And that's that's really why I think, you know, Mantic is, you know, pushing for Warpath. That's that's their goal. Cause they want there is something beautiful about playing a game with you know hundreds of models and there's something, you know, magical about that. Um, on, on in in a different way, um, you know, it's a, it's a different experience. But at the same time, they want to get into that market because there's more money in it. Something like broken contract, it's it's like you know, if somebody buys their Black Squadron security for you know thirty five dollars, and then they buy uh, a ten dollar pack of drones, and then you know down the road I release a couple more models, and then down the road release a couple more models. You know, they've, they've tapped out at a hundred bucks. They're done. Uh, you know, unless they decide to go into another faction. And so, you know, there's a very big difference of what kind of money something like a, a micro skirmished game can generate versus a, you know, um, a regiment sized battle game. Yeah, that's Sorry if, I went on a- <laughs> Sorry if I went off on a tangent. <laughs> no,
1: <you're not laughs> I- a problem. I think you, you I mean, touched on something that, you know, it, it, it's been talked about quite a bit. And I, I, I think, I think the big thing that we're also kind of seeing is like, again, with so many games popping up, like, you know, we, let's take broken contract, for example, for obvious reasons, like you only have a handful of models,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like for the amount that you're willing to grow is basically like you and your artists that are helping mm-hmm. you don't, you can't go whole hog. So on top of that like okay so people buy like the couple starter bucks for 35 bucks a pop and they pick up a rule book and they're like you know what we want to go a little bit bigger they've got models from these other games that kind of fit with broken contract you know they might have some other post apoc models or something like that yeah and like to you as someone who's you know kind of going at it you know slow as you go kind of thing you're okay with them taking those models they already have and throwing them in there Just like you're okay with people taking your broken contract models and using them in this is not a test or some yep. other game out there please do because it, <laughs> yes <laughs> so so I, I think i think that's the other advantage of the micro game or is the fact that like you know it allows for a lot more flexibility outside of like you know as you mentioned you were a gw employee where it's like if you were going to a gw event it had to be gw models and it had to be gw this and gw that which is cool for making sure that GW keeps selling models, but after a mm. while, like people look at it and go, "Do I really need more?"
0: Yeah. So, yeah. That, yes. The yes. The answer is always
2: oh. yes. The answer is always yes. Yes. However,
1: you know, <laughs> what it comes down to is people. You know, nowadays, instead of like the the do I really need more, they look at it more from the standpoint like, how much money am I going to spend on this game? Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of an important balance of what we're seeing nowadays, especially with so much stuff coming out. I mean, hell, look at Nick's Kickstarter record. That'll tell you everything you need to know.
0: But hey, I, hey, but, I have a condition or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a a big thing that you know a lot of people are taking into consideration nowadays. And I'm fairly certain you probably saw that even, like, in Adepticon when you're playtesting. is People are like, oh, it costs that much? That's not bad at all. What the hell? I'll get into it.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: They're like, oh, well, you know, this starter set with this book and all of this, and, like, you know, that's that's going to be $200. And then they might yeah. go, whoa, hang on a second. I wasn't prepared for that.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and, and one of the things that uh, that is – Really important when when running demos at Adepticon, for example, the the greatest number of hits that that you're going to get with a game is if you run two people at the same time, they're friends, so that they know that there's somebody else that's interested. Um, Yeah, because that that when you when you're a small indie game, it's like you can you can have somebody walk away and they're like, "This game is cool," and then. They, you know, go and talk to their buddy, and their buddy's like, eh, "I'm, I'm, you know, I already, you know, spent spent money on you know X Y Z game," and then they're like, "Oh, well, yeah," and so the, the the best luck that I've had is when when I, there was a you know a group of people that were all together, and I ran them all together at the same time, and then you know they all walk away with something. So,
1: but yeah, that's a very good way to do it. <laughs> yes.
0: yes, it is.
1: Awesome. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. We've actually gone over our hour time frame, which is totally fine. Our last couple episodes have been a little short. Hell yeah. Iggy, is there anything else you want to throw in there? I should say co-host. <laughs> is there anything else you want to throw in there before <laughs> we wrap
0: this bad boy up? Um, let's see. Um, we're about to hit 52 episodes. We're almost at a year. Um, so, if you've been with us the whole year, go put a review somewhere and tell people that we're awesome. And if you happen oh, to be a beer company, we're looking for sponsors. So, you know, give us a call.
1: If you happen to be a bourbon company, we're looking for sponsors.
0: Yeah, that too.
1: <laughs> so what we, what we mean by that is you don't have to pay us. We
0: no, just, no. We
1: just appreciate your beer.
0: We accept alcohol.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly that. Awesome. So, all
2: right. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I was I was just gonna say I I, I want to thank you guys for having me on again. Um, I as, as you can tell, I love to talk and I get excited about the hobby. So uh, it's it's a joy being able to uh, come on and, and talk about my game. Please, if if you're out there listening and uh, you uh, um, find this interesting, you know, check out the uh, Broken Contract Rulebook Kickstarter. And uh, um, get engaged in the comments because, you know, I will love to talk to you. So. uh,
1: (laughs) So, yeah, please, please do. Awesome. Well, folks, that'll wrap it up for this week of Skirmish Supremacy, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at Tim at SkirmishSupremacy.com or Nick at SkirmishSupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.